Hello, this is James Bradley, known as JB East. I'm here with Jeff J. Brown. He's out in France, I'm in Vietnam, he's JB West. And today we're excited because we have a special guest. How special? Well, you know, some people never succeed. Other people succeed in one area of life. Today's guest has been successful in three very different areas of life. In business, he was a manager for IBM. He was a subject matter expert for telecommunications and defense command and control systems. Academia, wow, it took me three colleges to get a bachelor's degree. <laughs> Dr. Lawrence Sellen, our guest, got his master's degree in strategic studies from the US Army War College. And then Dr. Sellen got his PhD in human psychology from, no, physiology from Rutgers Medical School. And finally, he's a retired colonel in the US Army. He's a recognized expert in biological and chemical warfare. He's written over 500 articles and we are so happy to welcome Dr. Sellen. Jeff, I'll turn it over to you and our guest, Larry Sellen. Well, um, Larry, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's it's a real honor. Um, and uh, I, I understand uh, you know, know a lot about some of the questions I'm gonna be asking today. So I'm looking forward to actually expanding my horizons and learning learning from you. The first question I have is, please tell us about Fort Detrick and its different operations spreading out across the planet with uh, the Department of Defense's 330 plus, presumably bioweapon labs. Well, thank, thank you very much for inviting me to, uh, to your program. It's a real honor uh, to be on with you. Uh, first, let me say that uh, I actually worked at Fort Detrick. I worked at the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases, often called USAMRID. Uh, let me give your audience a, a brief, very brief history of Fort Detrick. It was actually started out uh, after World War I as a commercial uh, airfield. And then uh, towards the uh, late 1930s, uh, that airfield and the, and the land around it was bought by the U.S. Army. And uh, at the beginning of, of World War II, it uh, transitioned to, uh, to Camp Dietrich as, a, as an early uh, military installation. In 1943, uh, it became the U.S. Army Center for Biological Warfare, and that is both offensive and defensive uh, biological warfare research. Uh, that continued until uh, 1969, and under the Nixon administration, the Biological Weapons Convention was signed, and then uh, the was then the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases uh, began. The offensive research was was stopped. It was then purely uh, what described as uh, defensive biological warfare research, uh, and uh, then, uh, actually, within the last uh, 15 years, it, it went through another transition, and the U.S. government consolidated uh, much of the uh, biological warfare defense uh, into Fort Detrick, and now that includes 
uh, eight separate federal agencies. So it was not only the U.S. Army that was there. And uh, NIH began uh, its research at Fort Detrick, I think, in the 1960s with the Frederick Rand Cancer Research Institute. But uh, 15 years ago or so, Anthony Fauci decided he wanted to start his own program in, in bio warfare defense. And uh, they began the, uh, the, the Frederick or NIH uh, integrated research center there. It's a very large operation now, but there was also the US Navy, the CDC, the FDA, the Department of Homeland Security and other federal agencies that are now a consolidated effort in bio warfare defense at Fort Detrick. Now to the to your question you, you just asked Jeff, uh, and you actually may know more about the numbers than I do, but uh, in 1996, it was a, a, a scientific publication by some US military scientists and they identified seven uh, research centers the uh, Department of Defense Research Centers outside the United States. Now, recently we learned uh, that there were bio labs also in the Ukraine. And initially I thought there was 10 to 15 and soon afterwards uh, we learned there that perhaps there were over 40 US Department of Defense funded research laboratories in the Ukraine. And then we learned about uh, research laboratories or research biological warfare uh, studies being done in Kazakhstan. So I, I think really the short answer to your question is at least I'm not sure how many they are. And, I, you know, perhaps you can, you know, help out here in terms of the 330 plus you you mentioned in your question. Yeah, well, I got the 330 plus uh, from um, an article I read uh, uh, where uh, the Chinese uh, Foreign Ministry of Foreign Affairs asked, said that they had had a list of 330, I think it was 331 or 332 uh, Department of Defense labs, um, all under the, uh, I, I guess, all under the defense, uh, defense threat or defensive threat reduction agency, which is, you know, what the, 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 the umbrella the umbrella in Ukraine and all these labs around the world. So, um, I, I, I assume, <coughs> I assume it's true. They actually had a map and they, there was, there's Thailand and the Philippines and, <coughs> and, uh, they, um, got caught in South Korea doing <laughs> illegal bioweapon research. Uh, um, they, they spread some, spread some bugs in South Korea and got caught. So, uh, quite recently. So I, I, I think, you know, whether it's 100, 200 or 300, it's a lot. And um, and um, I just I, you know, I, I know they I know they go under the under the, the rubric. Oh, this is, you know, well, we're just we're studying, you know, wildfowl and rabies and, you know, avian, uh, you know, swine flu and trying to stop all of these. But the evidence in Ukraine suggests that when they studied swine flu, swine flu spread throughout Eastern Europe. And when they studied avian flu, avian flu spread throughout Ukraine and Eastern Europe. So um, 
I, I, I know, I know they don't want to admit that there's offensive, offensive um, development, but it seems to me, it seems to me that there is, and we're, we'll get to the Russian thing here in a few minutes, um, because they're the ones that have really put the package together to, to present to the world. Uh, well, another one uh, that we hear about a lot, and and I and I've always had a hard time putting it in perspective with with all the all the other one all the other organizations that you mentioned is DARPA. Where, where does DARPA fit in bioweapon uh, development and production? Well, if I may just add one thing, Jeff, to what you just said, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of this plausible deniability involved. There are a lot of contractors and subcontractors who are who are running, actually running these uh, these uh, laboratories throughout the world. I know in Ukraine, Metabiota was mentioned, and I, you know I could say that uh, this is an interesting point about Metabiota, which is apparently involved with Hunter Biden. Oh, yeah. And the Ukraine labs, there's a woman called Zhao Zhang. I, I probably will mispronounce this and you can correct me if I'm if I'm incorrect. Uh, Xiao Zhang Zeng, who was apparently the quote secretary to Hunter Biden in Beijing. Well, this woman, uh, at least according to Jack Maxey, is the is the wife of George F. Gao. Now, George or Fu yeah. Gao. He is, uh, was, at least until recently, the head of China's uh, Center for Disease Control. So we see that connection there in Metabiota, but there are numerous of, of these contractors and subcontractors running the lab in particular, and we could talk about this later at Fort Detrick, the National Institutes of Health in Integrated Research Center. There is entirely, uh, are apparently entirely run by uh, contractors. Now, uh, to your question about DARPA, uh, DARPA is, you know, it's the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. So they, they're focused mainly on cutting edge research, which includes, mm -hmm. you know, things around biological warfare. And it's mainly a funding agency, uh, you know, similar to DITRA and USAID mm -hmm. and others who are, who are also involved in this, this business that you <laughs> described. Uh, so it, 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 I would say DARPA is mainly a driver of, okay. of what is happening. You know, like NIH, the people who have the money mm -hmm. tend to be able to drive the, you know, what research is mm -hmm. being done. Yeah, absolutely. And what about Porton Down? Of course, Porton Down had its moment of glory with the um, uh, the Scripple, uh, the Scripples, the father and the daughter who were who were. Uh, poisoned uh, just a, a kilometer and a half from Porton Down. And and then a nurse from Porton Down just happened to be right there when they got poisoned and found them and now they've disappeared. But Porton Down is, as, uh, as I understand, Yeah, I lost the audio. Hey, what? Larry, you're on. You can you yeah. hear me? I can't hear Jeff. One, two, three, four. Jeff. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, Jeff, you got lost. So you were uh, Portland down. Nurse. Yeah, I'll start. I'll start over. I'll start over. Uh, Larry, uh, Larry, what did you hear? What was the last thing you heard? Well, you were talking about Port Down and uh, the nurse and. 
yeah people disappearing right. that was the last i heard so you got into something uh, which i okay and then i and so then i i just wanted to and then i just wanted to ask is, is how important is porting down in 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 this um in in bioweapon development or defense or whatever we want to call it and do they do, does Porton Down cooperate with Fort Detrick or is it is it completely standalone? Does it does it do its own work? Uh, what do you see there? Yeah, that's a good question of what it is now. Certainly, when I was at Fort Detrick, Porton Down was a, a very important collaborator with uh, the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases, but they also worked on on chemical defense issues. Now, since then. The port and down or the the area around uh, the research center or the defense research center there has been uh, commercialized. It's, it's more of a, a commercial and industrial operation, research operation as well. But the the defense institute there uh, still continues. And as you correctly point out, they were involved in analyzing this Novichok uh, 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 chemical weapon that was used to, you know, to try to kill the sear balls and 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 actually others. Uh, so I suppose it has some level of importance still, and I imagine there's still cooperation between the U.S. Uh, biological and chemical uh, defense people and Porton Down, but uh, I don't think it's as significant as it was before. Okay, that's interesting. Well, since we know that uh, vaccines are the, the flip side of bioweapons, what role does uh, the World Health Organization, WHO, uh, play in, in, in bioweapon development and production, either in, intentionally or secretly or indirectly? Well, the uh, World Health Organization, of course, uh, drives policy as well uh, through its international pronouncements. Uh, also, the World Health Organization funds uh, different kinds of medical research throughout the world. So as a funder, it can also, you know, drive what types of research uh, is being done. But I think the bottom line on the World Health Organization is it's really compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. So it, it tends to uh, at least not uh, oppose anything the Chinese Communist Party is proposing or wanting to do. Uh, so I think, think its main role is is driving a certain narrative which uh, uh, coincides with the Chinese Communist Party narrative. Do they do they um, do they say no to Bill Gates and um, and uh, Big Pharma? I mean, at, at, at who or do, yeah, do they I, say no I've, to them? I've, yeah, I have read that. Uh, Bill Gates has been working with the World Health Organization on, you know, to promote his projects. Uh, and Big Pharma, of course, is invested in China. So, you know, through the communist Chinese Communist Party and then back to the World Health Organization, I'm sure there's this coordination there at a minimum. Yeah. Also, I wanted, I was just, you were talking about how officially the United States stopped offensive bioweapon development and I think it was you said in 1969 but I had a wonderful interview with uh, Douglas Valentine who former CIA 
um, guy, and he um, wrote wrote a book uh, which you may have read. Uh, the CIA is organized crime, and he said what the CIA does is if they get caught doing something like Mockingbird or MK Ultra or Paperclip, all you know, all their different you know kinds of. Uh, um, oh, James, what's the one uh, in uh, Vietnam? Uh, 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 yeah, I can't. Um, yeah, I'll think of it. Anyway, the, he said what they do at the CIA is, is they just, uh, okay, we're sorry, we we won't do that again. And then they just move one, one aisle, you know, one aisle over in the building at the CIA at Langley, or they go up one floor go into you know move, go into another office and, and 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 change the name and don't and, and never stop uh, do you do you think that might be a possibility as far as bioweapon production um uh in the united states phoenix was what you were talking about yeah the, uh, phoenix yeah operation phoenix yeah yeah exactly so, so larry do you, i mean do you think that's possible that they just i mean i don't know but do you think they just um Moved, moved a door over and, and changed the name and kept going like the CIA does? Or what? how do you feel about that? Well, it, it's hard to know. Uh, at least I don't know uh, whether they're engaged or the CIA is engaged in offensive biological warfare research. But this gets back to the problem I mentioned earlier, is that if you look at a lot of these contracts and, and you know, one example of the contract is is what I mentioned before, is that the new National Institutes of Health Integrated Research Program at Fort Detrick, which is really a biodefense uh, research program, it is sub it is contracted and subcontracted. So the the NIH part of it is merely a shell. So you really uh, don't have a good idea of of what these contractors are doing. I mean, there are certain things that they publish, and of course, you know, you can track it by their publications, but there may be things going on that you do not know about. And that was the case certainly at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where in my opinion, it was, was the origin of, of the COVID-19 uh, virus. But again, these kinds of things are, are still going on only in different forms. Uh, we just had a two-year pandemic at that really, you know, just about wrecked the global economy and destroyed people's lives and businesses and hurt education, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, crimes against humanity, in my opinion, in terms of how they were handled. But, you know, within the last six months, we have two cases of gain of function research on viruses. Now, gain of function is, is to artificially manipulate viruses in the laboratory to give them uh, capabilities that they would not ordinarily have in, in nature. In other words, accelerating evolution in a particular direction. And in this case, you know, increasing the infectivity of coronaviruses and the potential pathogenicity uh, of coronavirus. In other words, making them more transmissible and, and more deadly. So the first case was actually, and we just learned about it recently, happened in May of this year at the Imperial College in London where they uh, did these gain of function research, this artificial manipulation of viruses, and they took the, the uh, spike protein from the Omicron variant. Now, the Omicron variant is, is the most uh, contagious, the most transmissible. 
that we have so far. So they took the spike protein, which is where the center of this transmissibility occurs, and they put it on uh, the Delta variant, which which at least uh, you know at the time and maybe still the most lethal. So they created an entirely new coronavirus using the Omicron spike variant and putting it on uh, the you know the Delta variant, uh, which is the most deadly. So they made a more contagious and more uh, uh, more deadly virus in the laboratory, and this was just in May. Now, the, these types of experiments were also done at Boston University. Boston yeah, University so, so just had a new uh, biosafety level four facility that, that started up a few years ago, and, and they were doing basically the same thing. Now, if they made a more dangerous virus and it, act, and it leaked out again, uh, you, you'd have another pandemic right on top of the one we just had. That's crazy. Yeah, if, if um, I, I didn't see the one about the Imperial College uh, after we finish today, uh, Larry, if you would please um, send me that. I'd like to add that to the uh, Bioweapon Truth Commission's um, Global Online Library. I have the one for Boston, but not the one for the Imperial College. Yeah, I like, for me, gain of function is kind of like a 25 cent word. I, and I just, I just like to say weaponize because that's basically what when you do gain a function, you're you're weaponizing the uh, you're weaponizing whatever you're working on. So uh, and it's incredible that you know they're continuing to do this and and, and then bragging about it. <laughs> it's just it just boggles can the I, mind. Can I ask a question? Can I interrupt right there? With, yeah, you know, yeah. Out of being incredible. I mean, I'm in Vietnam and and uh, you know not in the mainstream media, but. We just went through, like you said, a two-year pandemic. Americans are familiar with names like Omicron and, and virus. And uh, I was just in Singapore. 50% uh, of the people are wearing masks. So the, the public is aware of this type of thing. How, how is it possible that they're doing gain of function on the East Coast of America and in England and everyone's hair is not on fire? I mean, I, you know, I would think there'd be immediate demonstrations or that it would be dominating the front pages of newspapers. It's almost like, you know, Los Angeles was destroyed by nuclear war and then they're toying with nuclear weapons in Omaha. You know, there would be a little protest. Lawrence, would you like to pitch in? Well, I, I can only say that the, uh, the population of the world has now been conditioned. You know, not to question the authorities and what they're doing, and the authorities are acting in hubris. Uh, you know, but basically sticking their thumbs in the eye of the public and say, "We we don't care, you know, what you think, and we don't care what happens to you. We're going to continue with what we're doing." So it's real arrogance, and it's yeah, unchecked, yeah, I, it's unchecked I arrogance. Okay, unchecked. Yeah, and I and unfortunately, I think they're. Um, at least in countries like France and where I live and the United States and um, other Western countries, there's just a sense of helplessness and powerlessness and and it it cultivates apathy and and um, and uh, people start you know to compartmentalize these things, you know the cognitive dis dissonance of, oh, you know, Weaponizing viruses, COVID, and then they and then and then they just you know compartmentalize them and, and separate them that they don't that they're not 
they're not the same thing. And uh, it's, it's, that was, that's, that's my, that's actually my final question to Larry at the end is how do we stop all this madness? But, but before we get there, you mentioned uh, uh, China and it's um, a huge uh, influence at the World Health Organization. And there's, and of course, um, you, you and I, Larry, you and I have both written a lot about that, about COVID. Uh, and I'd just like to uh, ask a, from zero to 100%, what percentage of culpability does the United States have and what percent uh, China for the creation of SARS uh, COVID-2? I would say 50-50. 50-50. Yeah, certainly China was responsible for, uh, you know, creating uh, the COVID-19 virus, but it was the American scientists who, who taught them and even funded them to do it. Uh, yeah. people, people like Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina actually taught the Batwoman, Zheng Li Shi of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, you know, how to do these experiments. It was Ralph Barrick and, uh, who sent the uh, the genetically modified mice to China. These are mice that have, that don't have uh, mice receptors for these viruses, but have human receptors for these viruses. They're genetically engineered mice. And Ralph Barrick provided some of these mice to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Now that's important because what you can do with a genetically modified mouse that has the human receptors in it for these viruses is that you can do a, a, a technique called serial passaging. In other words, you take a, a, a bat coronavirus that would not normally infect humans and you keep running it through these mice. So eventually, uh, as you keep running this virus through these mice, the virus mutates and the mutations become more adaptable mm. to humans. So you create, can through, through that technique, you can create or, or accelerate evolution and uh, take a bad coronavirus and, you know, five to 15 times through these mice can create a new virus that, uh, that can affect humans. So that's another yeah. thing you can do besides, you know, you know, genetic engineering or these CRISPR uh, genetic, uh, like your biology techniques. Yeah, thank you. I didn't know about that. I I, I will uh, I will I will research that uh, later. Well, so you you feel like at U.S. China is fifty fifty for the creation of SARS COVID uh, two. Uh, what percent for each country's responsibility in spreading it around the world? Well, I think that's predominantly China, uh, because uh, you know, as you know, Jeff the. When this outbreak took place in Wuhan, the uh, the Chinese government tried to sh shut down, you know, domestic travel, but they continued to allow international travel from Wuhan and all the cities in China until, for example, President Trump shut it down. Uh, but I, you know, I think that was basically intentional, that they intended to spread this this virus around the world. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. You know, did you how, want to say something, James? Well, I just want to, yeah, ask a, uh, how, uh, again, how is it possible that I have friends who um, are wondering if it came from a bat cave or not? I mean, I, 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 
you know, how, how, how I have educated friends who are wondering about the origin. I mean, are you being interviewed uh, much by U.S. media, or how do you explain that there's a debate about what you're saying? Well, there shouldn't be a debate, but uh, because it's basically because of uh, of you know deliberate government misinformation and also uh, misinformation coming from uh, elements of the global scientific community. So that includes scientists and scientific journals. We know from the beginning of of the pandemic, uh, there were suspicions uh, that, uh, you know, in January, for example, of 2020, uh, there were suspicions that this came from a laboratory and and not from uh, from nature because that you know unusual uh, structural characteristics that would indicate that it came from a laboratory. Uh, and in fact, one of the scientists who, I, in my opinion, has been involved in this cover-up, his name is Christian Anderson from the Scripps Institute. Oh, yeah. He wrote a, an email to Anthony Fauci, in fact, stating that it looks like this virus was engineered. And then there were, you know, some emails, group emails and, and conference calls and things like that. And within a week, Christian Anderson and a variety of other these other scientists who could be considered complicit in creating the COVID-19 virus decided that uh, definitely it came from nature. Now, there's no way, uh, you know, as early in the pandemic as, as this, these discussions when they took place, they could have they could not have known really the origin of, of the COVID-19, whether it was uh, you know, from nature or 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 from the laboratory. Yet, uh, it appears very much that this was a uh, a planned, intentional cover up. You know, not only to protect themselves and their potential complicity, but to continue with these, you know, research programs. Because if it turned out that China created this virus in a laboratory, their careers and their research pro- programs would have been decimated. So this cover-up has uh, has continued. There's been deliberate disinformation from the government, or, or simply, you know, saying that they just don't know when they, when it's clear that they should know. Uh, l- let me just give you, uh, for your audience, a, a quick explanation of the smoking gun here. The smoking gun uh, for a laboratory origin of the COVID-19 virus is is what is a small structure and it is called the furine polybasic cleavage site. Mm-hmm. Now, this particular small structure uh, does not exist in any bad coronavirus from which COVID-19 could have evolved. Uh, what is interesting about this is if you take the reverse sequence, in other words, a genetic sequence that could code for this furine polybasic cleavage site. That reverse sequence uh, is present in a 2016 Moderna pack. Okay, Moderna is one of the companies that produced the COVID-19 vaccines. So it, 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 if you do an analysis, and this was done by an Indian group headed by Dr. Arbati, he did a, you know, a statistical probability of an analysis of you know, what was the probability that you could have these as two independent events? That, you know, this particular structure could appear in a coronavirus, although it, it has never appeared in a coronavirus before, bad coronavirus. Uh, and uh, what is the probability that it was coincidental with 
it all this reverse structure appearing in a Moderna patent in 2016. And it's, you know, astronomically low. That is, there's no way that these could be two independent events that they, they must be linked. Now, if you add on to that, you know, that study and that analysis and the facts that I just gave you, that in 2018, uh, there was a, a research grant submitted to DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, by Peter Daszak of the EcoHealth Alliance, mm -hmm. who was a lead investigator, uh, who was a longtime collaborator with the Batwoman Zengli Shi of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Also, in that application, the Another principal investigator was Ralph Barrick of the University of North Carolina. Zhang Li Shi herself was on that application to DARPA. And another individual who was been directly involved with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, and this type of, of gain of function research on coronaviruses was Lin Fa Wang of the University of Singapore. Now, so this is 2018, two, two years before the pandemic, and if you read this research application, it reads like a recipe for creating the COVID-19 virus, including at one point, they actually say that we are going to insert furine cleavage sites into bat coronaviruses. And it's been known for at least 20 years that the insertion of this particular structure, the furine polybasic cleavage site will increase transmissibility and lethality in coronaviruses. So to me, you know, those three facts that I just gave you are, are the real smoking gun and no one in the scientific community anywhere, including those who are proposing a natural origin have been able to explain any of that. Okay. Yeah, so, go ahead, James. Well, you know, Donald Trump, is famous for knowing if there's a cracked piece of marble in one of his thousands of apartments. You know, a detailed guy, a builder, New York. He, he, there was no one in the uh, bureaucracy to tell him what you just told us uh, when they locked down in 2020. They fooled the president of the United States and Peter Navarro and Trump's defenders and I mean, it, it, it's that monolithic, it's that confusing. Uh, the short answer is yes. Yes. He was, he was lied to. He was lied he was to by, <laughs> by the U.S. intelligence agencies, by the Department of Homeland Security, all the people around him, uh, Anthony Fauci, the NIH, Francis Collins, they, they all basically lied to President uh, uh, Trump, he, he, even lying to uh, you know, people like Scott Atlas, who, who was a real scientist and was providing a lot of good information to President Trump in, in, during the pandemic. Uh, but their voices, you know, people like Scott Atlas and, and Peter Navarro, their voices were ground out simply by the, the overwhelming number and, and force of the permanent bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., and that includes as I said, um, uh, you know, scientists uh, who knew better and, and scientific journals, which were publishing articles that were really uh, at, at a minimum misinformation, if not disinformation. This, this is stunning. I can't wait for this podcast to get out. Well, let me play a, the devil's advocate. I, I, I'll, you know, Larry, I'll be honest with you. I, 
uh, your percentage on the, the 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 Chinese spreading COVID. I'm you know I, I respectfully you know I'll just I'm uh, I'm not here to have an argument, but I would say that I I would not agree with that. But um, but uh, you have a lot more experience about this than I do, so I, I I'll have to give that some real reflection. But let me see if I can get this. Uh, yeah, if I, if could, I had, if, yeah, if I could just ahead. interrupt a moment, Jeff. You no, know, please, please, you know, express you know, your opinion, opinion because it's, you know there may be aspects to it which I also agree with you. Well, yeah. Well, I, uh, um, I, I feel like you know I, I I can send you the transcript. You know, David Martin is um, um, a, a biological patent ex he's considered to be the world's best biological patent expert and he he came up with uh, 74 patent western patents on covid from 2009 until 2015 or so and i just i just see the I see the uh, the Chinese as 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 the victim because they were brutally attacked with bioweapons by the Japanese from 1935 to 1945. They were attacked during the Korean War by the United States. Uh, they SARS SARS was a bioweapon, um, and they know that. And then the, the horrific you know I don't, Harvard collecting a minimum of 200,000 DNA samples from the lungs of Han Chinese throughout the 1990s um, to the point where Larry uh, Larry Summers, uh, Bill Clinton's good buddy, uh, the tre his treasury secretary who became the president of Harvard had to publicly apologize for basically unethical criminal conduct in China and then you know, I just I, I I see the Chinese are have been attacked re relentlessly attacked by bioweapons since 1935, and the only other country that comes close to it is Cuba. You know, with with what the United States has done there with dengue fever and African uh, uh, African swine flu and and all the tobacco and sugar and 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 they they they've you know. Uh, destroyed their crops, you know, since the 1980s. So I just, I have a different perspective. I, I feel like China's um, um, more, more the victim than the perpetrator. And I feel like Barrick, Daszak, Fauci, um, uh, and, the, and, this, and this massive uh, bioweapon development that the United States has spread across the planet is more responsible than China. But, um, uh, but I, but I can, you know, I, I will, I will give that some reflection about what you said. Yeah. Well, let me respond to that, Jeff. I, you know, I don't think you're wrong in that. Um, you know, you're certainly correct that China was a victim. Uh, there's no question about that in terms of what was going on in World War II and what the Japanese Imperial Army was doing in their research centers uh, in Manchuria. I think it was called Unit 781, if I remember correctly. S 731. Uh, 731, okay. I stand corrected. Uh, so, I, you know, I think you're certainly correct about that. And and uh, the U.S. authorities and, and, and not all, uh, and uh, U.S. scientists, and not all of them, I mean, but the, certainly the people you mentioned have been driving this kind of gain-of-function research. 
uh, in particular, Anthony Fauci. Now, mm-hmm. uh, to balance that out, I mean, we could talk about history, you know, what has happened to the Chinese people as, you know, as opposed to what the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army are doing. I can only say that um, after the first uh, SARS pandemic, which took place in 2002 to 2004, uh, which originated, I think, in Guangzhou uh, province. Yeah, Guangzhou. Yeah, and uh, was fairly limited to China, although it did spread into other parts of the world and was considered a pandemic. Immediately after that, or the there were there are in fact uh, Chinese military documents which have been translated uh, that describe a, a change in attitude by the People's Liberation Army from the traditional biowarfare agents, you know, for example, bubonic plague and anthrax and things like that, to what they call uh, biotechnology weapons, and uh, that includes, you know genetically engineered uh, biotechnology weapons, which would, uh, could be, uh, one type of those could be uh, uh, viruses that are highly contagious, but have low lethality and can be used, and this is their words, uh, used in pre-war conditions. Now, to me, that sounds very much like the COVID-19 virus. So this was occurring uh, just after the first SARS pandemic uh, ended in 2000, 2004, and simultaneously at the same time, many of the scientists uh, associated or or actually were People's Liberation Army scientists were doing experiments to pursuing, you know, that j- just that line of research. So early on, uh, 15 years ago or more, uh, the, the Chinese scientists associated with the People's Liberation Army were doing these kinds of experiments. Uh, that, in my opinion, uh, would contribute to the development of of the COVID-19 virus. Now, that certainly does not uh, preclude what American scientists were doing and what the American government was funding, in particular, Anthony Fauci. So, you know, again, I don't think you're wrong in in your interpretation, but, uh, you know, added to, to, you know, to the spread the intentional spread of the virus just after the pandemic began through international travel and what the Chinese People's Liberation Army and the scientists associated with them were, were both planning and doing uh, 15 years ago, you know, leads me to conclude that they have at least a 50% responsibility for what's Okay, well, I, I respect that. After after the show, uh, Larry, please send me those documents uh, that are, are links to those documents that you have about from the PLA, and I will definitely uh, definitely research them. The um, I, I'm sure you know all about this. Um, James and I have reported on this uh, numerous times, but Russia has presented 300 pages of. Western bioweapon evidence in Ukraine and around the world, including Cuba, uh, which was quite interesting, to the United Nations Security Council and it's the bioweapon toxin uh, convention, uh, which will be meeting uh, 20, the 22nd to the 26th of November, just in about two weeks in Geneva. 
And this dossier will undoubtedly be the star of the show because, in fact, it's unprecedented. Nothing like this has ever been presented to the uh, Bioweapon Toxin um, Convention. And, um, um, you know, one slide that they have, and I, and I, and I sent it to you, uh, shows a criminal link between the U.S. Democratic Party and bioweapon production in Ukraine to secretly funnel funnel money into financing elections. Uh, what about Republicans? Are, are and 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 it has it had, that slide has Gates and Soros and Obama and Clinton, uh, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and all the big pharma and Metabiota, um, Rockefeller Foundation. You know, Merck is just you know Eli Lilly. It just goes on and on and on. It's 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 um, it's staggering to, to 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 look at it. But if if the you know if if the Russians are right and I wouldn't I, I think they probably are. What about the Republicans? I mean, are they not in in on this massive money laundering kickback scheme too? And if not, why? Well, I can't say I know uh, how much Republicans may be involved in a in a money kickback scheme through Ukraine or in particular through the Ukrainian biolabs project, but they're certainly guilty of ignoring it. I mean, there hasn't been any serious investigation by the U.S. government, in particular, you know, the Republican Party in Washington, D.C., uh, looking into these various, you know, accusations. So uh, I think they're they're guilty by neglect in this case, certainly, Mm -hmm. and how much they're directly involved. uh, We may never know because maybe they don't want to investigate it because they're doing exactly the things that you just described. So the reason why you haven't seen a serious investigation because not just the Democrats, but the Republicans may be involved in this. Yeah, uh, 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 Pappy Escobar, a a quite celebrated uh, alternative journalist, uh, speculated that it's possible that the Russians obviously wanted to work with Trump because he was at least trying to build bridges and, you know, with North Korea and and Russia and uh, was bringing troops home and demilitarizing and et cetera. And that they might might have not mentioned the Republicans because they they, um, are hoping that uh, they can work with Trump, you know, after 2024. I don't. That's 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 a very very wild speculation. But um, he did mention that on his Telegram channel, which which I found quite interesting. <laughs> so, uh, well, let me ask you this: Do you think the Russian this Russian dossier will have any impact in reducing bioweapons around the world? Well. Uh- I would say, you know, it should be the star of the show, as you mentioned, but I don't think it will be. And I I think there are two reasons for that. Uh, Right now, Russia is an international pariah because of its involvement in attack on the Ukraine. And of course, there's a, a very large consensus, right or wrong, in the West against Russia at this point. So the major players who would be decisive and doing anything through the Biological Warfare Convention are probably opposed to anything the Russians might do at this point. So 
<laughs> I think that <laughs> that is is a real obstacle, you know, in, yeah. in general in addressing the proliferation of, of biological weapons or biological uh, weapon techniques uh, throughout the world. Now, the second thing is uh, the bioweapons convention as written is uninterpretable and, and unenforceable, unenforceable. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the beginning of the weapons convention, the very first sentence is it says, well, we were going to outlaw the production and stockpiling and blah, 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 of, you know, of biological weapons. And then it goes on to say, uh, well, but you can do, you know, do some of those things if you're uh, studying defensive biological warfare. So the entire uh, the, the entire biological weapons convention is is based on an interpretation of intent. What do you intend to do? Why are you doing these things? So there are actually not specific limits about you know uh, production and stockpiling, uh, you know, uh, of of biological weapons. So it, it, in that sense, it's really unenforceable because you can never really uh, pinned down what uh, a person or a country's intent was in this case. So the, mm -hmm. the convention itself is flawed. Uh, in, and I, unless they change the wording within the biological weapons convention to get more specific specific about what what are the violations, uh, it's probably, you know, any any objection by Russia or any other country for that matter, but won't really go anywhere. I mean, for example, when I let me give you when I worked at at Fort Detrick, I worked in what is called the P3 level biosafety laboratory. So it was not the highest level, but uh, you know it had uh, a negative pressure inside. So you know if there was any leaks, the leaks would go inside rather than go outside. For example, so and we used hoods and other protective measures, uh, but. In that laboratory where I worked in, we there were two fer fermenters there, and the fermenters were, were for growing anthrax bacteria, and uh, uh, another fermenter for, go for growing the, the uh, botulinum uh, bacteria, and you know the toxins from those were were extracted and you know and used in research and some of the. Know, the research that I did there was from, you know, the toxins extracted from growing botulinum uh, bacteria in those fermenters. So that is considered, you know, defensive research. Uh, so, you know, again, uh, how do you interpret a violation? And I've looked at all the, uh, and you may have looked at more of the documents than I have, Jeff, but at least in the documents that I've read, that the Russians have produced, it's very hard to say, uh, based on those document documents, that there was a violation of the biological warfare convention. You know, based on on what I just said about how it's written. Yeah, I, I, that's something James and I reported on that um, the uh, the biological weapon uh, convention is is a, a, a bit like the International Criminal Court. If if the accused doesn't want to play, doesn't want to get involved, they can just, you know, bow, basically bow out. And that's uh, the, the problem with the, uh, the, the bioweapon uh, convention is, is that um, it, it has no teeth. There's nothing, there's, 
there's no enforceability. There's only the there's only um, uh, evident, you know, pre presenting evidence and uh, you, know, you know the power of persuasion. But we, that doesn't work very that doesn't work very well in, inter in international uh, relations. So, and I and I and I do know that the Russians have have stated that they. Um, are going to at, at the convention in two weeks they're going to do exactly what you're talking about trying to trying to 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 firm up the the convention and make it more accountable and make it more enforceable uh but again whether that will happen or not uh, I, you know i don't know and and as you said russia has been demonized uh in the West, uh, because of Ukraine, and and that may be that may be a you know a factor that that um, prevents uh, this um, you know prevent prevents Russia from trying to make the um, the convention better and 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 uh, more enforceable. So um, anyway, they put a lot of work into it, and James and I've done a lot of reporting on it, and and uh, it's pretty pretty convincing that there was a that there was a lot of biological weapon production going on there and and how you know diseases spread around these various labs like hepatitis a and and uh, tuberculosis uh, uh, non non-treatable tuberculosis and they, they have they have a, they have reams of evidence but um, I, I, ho I hope I hope uh, I hope that maybe something can come out of it um, and if not, since the, since the French first used tear gas in World War One, <laughs> bioweapons and chemical weapons have been used almost nonstop around the world. Larry, how to end these crimes against humanity? Well, I can't say that I have a prescription uh, myself, but I think it, it includes some of the things that, that we just talked about and you just mentioned, Jeff, that uh, there, there should be some way of, of beefing up uh, the biological and toxins uh, weapons convention. Right now, it's it's as I said, it's uninterpretable and unenforceable. So that could be one thing, and the same thing could be done with the the chemical weapons uh, convention yeah. as well. Uh, the other thing is the proliferation of it, you know, advanced technologies. Uh, there's one genetic engineering technique called CRISPR, and CRISPR has made it, you know, very easy to create new viruses and and actually create them in such a way that they're indistinguishable between uh, uh, artificial and, and native viruses. So, you know, I don't know how you put the toothpaste back in the tube when you have a proliferation of these mm -hmm. these kinds of techniques, but also the general attitude we talked about, uh, you know, that here we have uh, just after a two year, a very destructive pandemic, you have two institutions, Boston University and Imperial College in London, doing gain of function research, creating more dangerous deadly viruses uh, using the same techniques that created the COVID-19 virus and the COVID-19 pandemic. So, you know, unless you have, uh, you know, outrage for what has happened mm -hmm. during this pandemic by the public in general and, and holding 
the people accountable. You know, we just had this two-year pandemic. We know that uh, Peter Daszak was at the Eco Health Alliance was working very closely with uh, Zheng Li Shi of the Wuhan Institute of Virology uh, in China from you know where the COVID-19 virus was created in the laboratory. Yet, just a couple of months ago, Anthony Fauci gave Peter Daszak and the Eco Health Alliance another uh, $600,000 grant. And in, in the that. middle of the pandemic, in, in August of, of, of last year, 2021, uh, Anthony Fauci gave the EcoHealth Alliance $7 million as part of his of Anthony Fauci's new biodefense uh, program, which is what I talked about earlier, which is also occurring mm-hmm. at Fort Detrick. And again, these programs are unaccountable. The NIH yeah. program at Fort Detrick is is run by contractors and subcontractors, and we have no idea of who they're hiring and what they're doing, uh, and and very little control over that. So you know, unless these loopholes, so to speak, are are, are closed, uh, we're still going to have, as you say, a proliferation of both biological and chemical weapons. Yeah, that's unfortunately that's a sobering and depressing. A depressing conclusion, but um, I, I, I think you're right. Um, and uh, nobody want every, everybody wants to be one step ahead of everybody else, and and um, nobody wants to be caught flat-footed, and and you know it's just uh, it's 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 like it's like it's it's like an unvirtuous circle of of of, uh, <laughs> of war crimes and. And I just um, um, anyway, James. Do you do you well, have any do you have anything you'd like to say in closing? This has yeah, been wonderful. I'd just like to thank you, Larry. And uh, I think the word unaccountable with the subject matter we're talking about is that does it for me. I I I, I get it. Bottom line, unaccountable, and we don't know yeah. what's going on, and it doesn't look like we're going to. Uh, know a lot soon. Well, it, it certainly, it, it certainly is, is, as as as, as Jeff just said, it's certainly sobering and depressive. Uh, but it's also a reason to act, and I think the the reason to act is is just as you just said, uh, James, that uh, we have to hold these people accountable over yeah. responsible for this. Unless we do, it's going to happen. Continue to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get this podcast out. That's our little effort. That's my. I'm the. I'm the producer. I'll let you all know when it's done. <laughs> Larry, thank you so much. This has just been. Yeah, Larry, thank you. I learned a lot, and I'm going to send you an email right after this to ask you to send me some stuff, and and um, because I need to, I need to, I need to do some more research and. And um, and if if there's anything you'd like from me about China, I'd be happy to send you some stuff too, because because of all of my experiences there. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, and it was a very enjoyable and informative discussion on all sides. Yeah, cool. absolutely. See you guys. Bye bye from. See Vietnam. you. Okay. Bye bye from Normandy. Bye bye. Take care. Bye.